0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to pray for us before we begin. Father, we thank you for a time of worship, Lord. We thank you for a time when we can... uh, Experience your power, Father, and sing praises to your name, Lord. We just thank you for what you've done in this place already. And we pray, Lord, for the next little while as we spend time opening the text of Scripture and opening your word. Father, we pray that your hand will be upon us. We pray that you would give us clarity and understanding. We pray that the distractions of the world will be kept out of our mind and out of our sight. And I pray, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. 1961, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States was at its height. The Soviets had made great strides in rocket technology and in space exploration. And in April of 1961, they had successfully placed, for the first time in history, a human being, Yuri Gagarin, in space. A few weeks later, on May the 25th, 1961, before a joint session of Congress, President John F. Kennedy, understanding... That we had to counter the Soviet success made this bold statement. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Now, the next nine years were filled with great success and great disaster as both the Americans and the Soviets raced to take the leadership role in space exploration. And then on June the 16th, 1969, almost a decade after Kennedy made his famous remarks from the Kennedy Space Center, the mighty Saturn V rocket, the tallest, heaviest, most powerful rocket ever brought to operational status, lifted off to begin a three-day journey to the moon. Now, the men and women at NASA had done thousands of hours of calculation They had planned every moment, they had diagrammed every component, they had contingency plans for anything that could possibly go wrong, and they were ready. But even with all the training, even with all the preparation, there were those who weren't certain it would work. Would the rocket fail? Would the moon's surface be able to support the lunar module? Would this actually be able to be accomplished? There were millions of things that could go wrong. But when Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins lifted off that July morning, 1969, it was for them very clearly A journey into the unknown. Now for so many of us, our spiritual journey is unknown. We desire to know God more. We desire to seek Him more. We we desire to hear from Him and understand Him. And yet for so many people, spiritual depth seems just out of reach. What if I told you that there was a clear path? What if there was a way to know God's will? What if there was a way to hear God's voice? What if there was was a way to experience the joy of Christ and to courageously do the will of God? What if there was a clear path and yet it remained unknown to most? Wouldn't you want to find that path? Wouldn't you want to take that journey? Welcome to week two of what we're calling the Into the Unknown Sermon Series. It's a series over the summer for the next five weeks where we will examine Scripture to try to understand and map out and then walk through a path that will lead us deeper into our walk with Christ. Now, I used the phrase last week of unlocking a door. I think every week we will unlock another door that will help us understand more about Christ's love, more about Christ's commitment, more about what the Lord has called us to do. Some people have called this spiritual disciplines. Others have called it a path to righteousness. Whatever phrase or term you want to use, over the next five weeks, we will delve into the depths and the riches of God's love. But I want you to hear hear me and understand something very clearly as we begin this journey. I want this for you over the course of the next several weeks to be so much more than just a sermon series. I want this to be so much more than just words you hear. So we've given you some very tangible things We've given you something you can take home with you and begin to study and begin to read and understand. We created for you this summer a prayer guide. Now, I think some of you last week may have picked one of these up. They were available last week. If you didn't get one this week, they're at the doors. If you can't find one at the door, you can go to our website. Under resources, there's a list here for the prayer calendar. You can print out the whole thing for the month of June and July. But here's the neat thing about this prayer guide. It's not a generic prayer guide. It's specific to the needs of our church. And so each week you're going to see specific things within this prayer guide that relate to exactly what's going on in our church right now, things that we need prayer for. Now last week we began by looking at the importance of confession and repentance in prayer. And so we gave you in our prayer guide last week specific parts of Scripture that you can read and study that related to repentance, that related to confession. This week, today, I'm going to be talking about meditating on the Word of God and there's specific references in the guide to meditating And then next week, I want to clue you in because I want you to kind of be prepared for what we're going to do next week. Next week's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to preach on fasting. And then we're going to offer you an opportunity. In fact, I want to challenge every family to do this. I'm going to challenge you, not this week, but the next week after the sermon on fasting, to at some point during that week as a family to fast. Now you say, I'm not not familiar with fasting. I don't know what that means. We'll talk about that next week. We'll explain what that means. We'll help you better understand that next week. But I'm going to specifically talk next Sunday morning about Ezekiel and the fast that the Lord commanded him to do. And it's very interesting because the Lord gave Ezekiel a very clear picture of what his fast ought to be. And he said to Ezekiel, you need to eat this certain kind of bread for 390 days. And within Ezekiel, in the text of Ezekiel, is the recipe for that bread. It's right there. So there's a company in Atlanta that actually makes this bread. It's called Ezekiel Bread. So we've talked to this company and we're going to, if you're interested... We can purchase for you one loaf of bread for your family. It's $5 a loaf. That'll include getting it down here. You can pick it up at the church. My family will buy one. And not this week, but the next week. We'll take probably a, a meal or maybe one day. It depends on how we feel the Lord leading us. And we'll eat only that bread. And we'll read that passage of Scripture. And we'll talk with our children about fasting and the importance of fasting. And we'll ask the Lord to work and speak to our lives and in our hearts through that process. So you be in prayer for that. You be in prayer for what the Lord would lead your family to do and whether or not you want to partake in that Ezekiel fast in a couple of weeks. I want you to know, I want you to hear me clearly. There's a clear path to knowing the will of God. There's a clear path to hearing His voice. There's a clear path to walking in righteousness. And so together today, we're going to continue that journey into the unknown. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. By the way, dads... How about Father's Day? We have a big rocket on the back screen taking off for the sermon. Did you like that? I thought that was pretty sweet. Happy Father's Day. Now Psalms is a collection of poetry written by authors that we're familiar with, David, Moses, Solomon. And the incredible thing about the book of Psalms is it's really filled with prayers. And it's filled with... Calling upon the name of the Lord to guide us and to give us strength. And if you spend any amount of time reading through the book of Psalms, if you spend any amount of time studying or praying through the book of Psalms, you will see that it will lead you to worship. It will lead you to understand more about the depths of the Lord. So we're going to begin this morning in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to focus on the first three verses. Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We have the text on the screen as well. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree, planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers." Now, I want to focus this morning on these first three verses. There are actually six verses in Psalm chapter 1, and there's a very clear division. The first three verses are about the blessed man. The last three verses are about the wicked man. I'm going to focus on the first three this morning because I think they'll paint for us a very clear picture. I think they'll give us some very clear, very tangible steps that we ought to be taking to deeper our walk with Christ. And here's the first point I want to make. Here's the first thing I want to draw out of Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In our journey to know God more deeply, number one, we must flee from evil. That's what the scripture teaches. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must flee from evil. Very simply, I want to be very clear here. If you expect to deepen your walk with Christ, you need to remove evil from your life. If you expect to know Christ more and deepen your roots and your love in His grace and in His power, you need to actively flee from evil. Now there's a very interesting progression in verse 1 here that the writer gives us that you may not have noticed in the first reading. I want to read it to you again and kind of highlight this progression. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1 verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk, there's number 1, in the step with the wicked. Or, number two, stand in the way that sinners take. Or, number three, sit in the company of mockers. There's this progression. Walk, stand, and sit. Now, you may have noticed the pattern as we read through it. It may not have meant a whole lot to you. You may see the pattern, walk, stand, and sit, and you may not think that's a big deal. But here's why this is so very important to us. When we talk about sin in the world, and we talk about evil, and we talk about the effects of sin and evil on our lives... Sin in our lives is always a very slow progression. You understand that? It always enters in a very subtle way. Let me tell you what I mean. Most people don't begin to walk into some sort of a sin in their life understanding that it's one day going to ruin them. They don't wake up one morning and go, I wonder what I could do today to ruin my family. I wonder what decision I could make today to ruin my life. I wonder what decision I could make today to to cause grief and heartache to all those that are around me, all those that love me, all those that support me, my family and my friends and my coworkers. I wonder what I could do today to walk into this sin that would just mess up everything. People don't do that. There's a subtleness to sin that's very dangerous. And it begins to slowly creep in in our lives. And we see this very interesting progression as we think through verse 1. I I envision the the guy that's kind of walking in life and he just kind of walking around and he notices around him that there's evil and there's sin all around him right now the example we can think of is walking in the mall not that walking in the mall is evil and sin i'm not trying to make that connection but here's what i'm saying as you walk in the mall and you walk past stores and you're just kind of minding your own business until all of a sudden you pass a store you know stores are good at this they've got these huge displays right and you'll notice they don't ever put the ugly clothes on the ugly mannequins out front, do they? They put the really pretty clothes on the really pretty mannequins out front. And you see the clothes and you're walking and you're minding your own business until you see something you like and what do you do? You stop, don't you? Wow, you know, I, I, what do you think about that shirt? You think, was that my color right? Women say that. Men are just like, I think this is the right size. But ladies, you're looking right. You're thinking about the color, the shoes that may match it, right? And so you, you you've been you're just minding your own business, and you're walking. and All of a sudden, you see it, and you just kind of stop, and you stand there, and you just kind of think about it, right? So we we see this this man who's walking, right? And then and then he's he's standing, and it's very subtle. It doesn't necessarily happen quickly, but it happens and he's standing. And all of a sudden you've been standing there and you realize you've been standing there for two or three or four minutes and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of part of it and now you walk into the store. And now you're kind of sitting among it, right? It's kind of like that with sinfulness in our lives. We're just kind of walking around minding our own business and all of a sudden we see something that just catches our eyes and we just kind of stop for a second. So the, the, the very tangible example would be something like this. Men were surfing the web for some reason. We're doing some work, or maybe we're just reading the paper, or we're looking at the box score for the Braves, or whatever. We're surfing the web, and we're just kind of walking along, minding our own business, and all of a sudden, something pops up on the screen that catches our attention, and we know it's not something we should be looking at. And instead of just continually to, continuing to walk on and ignore it, what do we do? We stop. And we stand. And we begin to think, right? We begin to process, and we, one minute leads to two and two minutes leads to three. And all of a sudden we've clicked on it and we're probably on a page we shouldn't necessarily be. in, And before long we've been there 30 minutes and we're just kind of sitting in the middle of this. It's the progression that we see in Psalm chapter 1. It's very subtle, it's very clear, and it's incredibly dangerous. So we need to be mindful of this. Because the Bible doesn't say that evil is going to come knock on our door and say, Hey, can I ruin your life today? <laughs> Hey, can I, can I lead you to a path of unrighteousness that's going to destroy your family? Can I, can, I lead, can I come in today and lead you to a decision that's going to cause heartache for all those that love you? That's not what the Word of God says. Instead, we see that it's slow and it's steady and it's subtle and it's one step at a time. And I want to warn you. You need to hear this. Unless you are actively guarding against the evils of the world, they will overtake you. You understand that? If you think you can live your life walking along and ignoring all this stuff and not actively fighting against it and you think it's never going to affect you, you're naive. And my fear is that if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself stopping and sitting and eventually partaking. I want to remind you of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It gives us a very clear warning about Satan and about what he tries to do. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be self-controlled and alert, he's speaking to us. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now here's the devil's agenda, you ready? Looking for someone to devour. See, if we're going to grow more deeply into the things of God, we must flee from evil. You understand that? It's not passive, it's active We better be guarding our hearts and our minds. We better be guarding our thoughts. We better be guarding our actions. We better be guarding against who we're around, and who we're allowing to influence. We better be guarding against when we stop and stand and look and sit and partake because the devil's going to try everything he can to destroy us. You understand that? To devour us. He would like nothing more than for a believer that is actively attending a church to be destroyed in sin because then the world would look at you and say, well, you're no different than me. You don't have anything that I need. I'm not going to do Christianity because you're just like everybody else. That's what the devil wants, and so we must be on guard. I want to read for you what one biblical scholar said. I just think it's really interesting. He said, if in the time of the psalmist... Now remember, psalms was written thousands of years ago. If in the time of the psalmist it was necessary for the devout worshipers of God to draw themselves from the company of the ungodly in order to frame their life aright, how much more in the present day... When the world has become so much more corrupt, are we carefully to avoid the dangerous society that we may be kept unsustained by its impurities? You know who said that? John Calvin in the 1500s. And if he thought it was getting bad in the 1500s, I wonder what he would think about us now. See, the world is full of evil and sinfulness and the devil is trying to destroy you. You need to be actively fleeing from evil if you really expect to grow into the love and nurture of God. Now we move on. Verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not. Here's the progression. Walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of the mockers. Now verse 2. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. Here's the second point. Not only should we be fleeing from evil, but number 2. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must meditate on God's Word. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must meditate on God's Word. Now, I'll argue that verse 2 in Psalm chapter 1 is the engine that drives the car. If you're going to focus on anything in, in chapter 1, and you should focus on all of it, if there's one central idea, it's found in verse 2. If you're going to grow in your walk with Christ, you need to delight and meditate very simply on the Word of God. Now, the text we read talks about the law of God. It's referring to the Bible. It's talking about His Word. So if we were to rewrite that, we could say this, those who delight is in the Bible and who meditates on the Bible day and night. Now some of you hear the word meditation and you're not quite sure what meditation means. Well, let, me, let me reassure you of a couple of things first. Number one, meditation is found all through the Word of God. In fact, I was, I was very honestly shocked with the number of times I found it as I began to do a word study this week. So let me just read you a couple of examples. Genesis chapter 24, verse 63, speaking of Isaac, he went out into the field one evening to meditate. Psalm 119, verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways, talking to the Lord there. Joshua 1, 8, before the Lord allowed Joshua to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 63, 6, Remember, I remember you when I was on my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 19, 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 77, verse 12, I ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. On and on and on the list goes. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, the word meditation is used over 58 times. You say, well, great, it's all through Scripture and I'm seeing all these references, but can you define for me meditation? Because when I think of meditation, I usually think of these Eastern religions. I think of transcendental meditation or I think of some sort of a New Age movement or I think about this idea of meditating so that I can separate myself from the world. Biblical meditation, let me define it for you, very simply means we are thinking carefully about the things of God. We're thinking carefully about the Scriptures Richard Foster, who wrote maybe the most well-known and probably the best-selling book on spiritual disciplines in history. His book is called The Celebration of the Disciplines. Here's what he said. Meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey His Word. It's very simply the practice of taking passages of Scripture, reading them over and over and over again, and just pondering them, thinking about them, asking the Lord to speak to you through them. Asking the Lord to work in your heart because of these passages of Scripture. Let me give you an example that may help you understand a little bit better. It's summertime and we like to grill in the summertime, right? My grill's getting a little bit old and so I have to be careful because it's kind of dangerous, right? And I've had it a few years and things are rusting and things are kind of falling through and the grate is pretty rusty. And since nobody likes rust on their hamburgers, I put down aluminum foil. That's what I do. So I put down aluminum foil, I fire it up, I get everything ready. But before I can cook on my grill, I like to marinate things. Now, Amy's a little bit different than me. I I, I like kind of a lot of marinade. My favorite is Dale's. I know everybody's got their own personal favorite. Maybe they make their own marinade sauce. But Amy's a little bit different than me. I I like a lot of marinade on my sauce. I like a lot of Dale's sauce on my hamburger, on my steak. So I don't just put a drop or two. I don't just put even a little spoonful on the top and, you know, kind of rub it around nice and let it sit for a couple minutes. I will literally fill up a container full of dale sauce and submerge my steak in. Is anybody like it like that? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. Not only will I submerge it in that, I'll let it sit overnight if I can. I mean, I'll put that thing in the refrigerator, I'll submerge it in dale sauce, I'll put a cover on the top and 24 hours later, man, it's good to go. And when you take that thing out, guess what that marinade sauce has done? It's just permeated in that steak, had not it? Or that meat or that chicken. And so when you you grill that thing, it's just part of it. You can't really separate them anymore. Meditation is kind of like that. It's the idea of submersing ourselves in the Word of God. It's the idea of of allowing it to surround us, to permeate us, to become part of who we are, to kind of interact with our lives and, and speak to us on a regular basis. But here's the problem with meditation. You ready for this? It's found all through Scripture, all sorts of examples. People all through history, the church fathers, I, I had all these quotes that I wanted to talk about from the church fathers. I just don't have time. But all these spiritual leaders from centuries past talk about the importance of meditation. We see it all through scripture, and yet here's the problem with meditation in our world. For the majority of believers, it's unknown, isn't it? In fact, if I had started this sermon by walking around and asking every single person in here, What is biblical meditation? you probably could have given me some sort of a definition. If I had then asked you when's the last time you actually meditated on some scripture, I bet most of us have never even attempted it. Now here's what we do, and this is important. I'm not minimizing this, of course. But here's where we start. We start by reading the Word of God, and we should certainly do that, of course. If you take it a step farther, some of us may spend a little time memorizing or even studying some of that scripture. But I bet none of us, or very few of us, have ever taken a lot of time to just meditate on that word to just reread it over and over again, to to go away for a period of time and think about it. Lord, what does that mean to me? How should I apply that? And then come back and read it again and think through it again and ask the Lord to speak to you. That's what biblical meditation is. It's taking these texts of Scripture and thinking through them and praying through them and allowing the Lord to speak to you in mighty and powerful ways. But I know meditation is kind of foreign to us. It's unknown. That's why I included it in this series because I really believe it's a key that will unlock a door for us. It's a key that will unlock a door to a deeper understanding of who the Lord is as we meditate on His Word and we allow that Word to permeate through our lives. So I'm going to give you six very practical things you ought to do. I've said from the beginning that this sermon series is going to be very practical. There's going to be some tangible things you can do in your life to better understand how to deepen your walk with Christ. So I'm going to give you six very clear things right now that you ought to do in order to meditate. Six things I want you to see. I've got them here on the screen for you. And the first thing you ought to do very simply is just pick a passage of Scripture. Now if you're writing stuff down you ought to write this down because this, this is a clear path for us. You need to pick a passage of Scripture. That can be a passage that you like personally. It can be a passage of Scripture that may the Lord has revealed to you. Sometimes we deal with certain situations we have certain problems and issues in our lives and maybe one passage of Scripture has spoken to us very clearly. Use that passage. It doesn't matter. Just pick a passage of Scripture first. Here's number two. Read that passage over and over and write it out on a note card. So far, so good, right? We're not, Nothing real difficult up to this point. Not rocket science. We're just writing some verses on a note card. Now, we've suggested for you in our prayer guide this upcoming week that you meditate on Psalm chapter 23. So if you can't come up with anything, you don't have a good example, you take Psalm chapter 23. So I'm going to use that as my example this morning. So let me tell you what I've already done. I've, shown, I've prepared for this week by writing out Psalm twenty-three on note cards. Now here's what I've done. There's six verses in Psalm chapter twenty-three. So Monday through Saturday, I've written out. Psalm chapter twenty-three, verse one, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Psalm chapter twenty-three, verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures, so he leads me beside still water. So I've got the entire six, the twenty-third chapter of the book of Psalms already written on my note cards, right? So I've got it ready. Now, number three, carry that card or those cars around with you and look at them through the day. So here's what I'll do tomorrow. I'll have my card for Monday in my pocket, and I'll just carry it around with me. I'll fold it up or put it, maybe it's on your phone as a reminder, whatever's easier for you. And at different points during the day, I'll just pick it out, and I'll begin to look at it, and I'll read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I'll just pull it out when I have a few moments, or maybe when I think about it, or maybe when I'm eating lunch, or maybe when I've got a break, or whatever the case may be in your life. You pull it out, and you just look at it, and you read it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Now look, we're not doing 50 verses when I do an entire chapter, just pick a verse or two. Make it real simple on yourself to allow the Lord to speak to you. That's the third thing that you do. Number four, after you've got your car, you're carrying it around. Number four, as you read, think about the verse and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through God's word. So read it and begin to think about it. Lord, what would you say to me here? How would you, how would you guide me as I'm thinking about you're my shepherd, Lord? And as I think about I shouldn't be in want, Speak to me, Lord. I don't want to just read this and then set it aside and forget it. I want to read this and I want to meditate. I want to think about it. I want to come back to it often. I want to read again at lunch. And then I've got a break in the afternoon. i want to read. And I know I've got a break coming up at 2 o'clock. I'm going to read it and I'm going to spend 10 minutes praying about it. Lord, I want you to speak to me through your... word. This is the process of meditation. Number five, repeat the process over and over throughout the day and throughout the week. Don't just do it once. Do it during the course of the day, do it during the course of the week. Meditate. And then number six... Move from medication, medication, <laughs> listen to me, meditation to application. Connect your thoughts to actions, right? So you're spending all this time reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Lord, speak to me, help me to apply this to my life. So Lord, you're telling me that you're my shepherd. That means that you're going to guide me, you're going to provide for the things that I need. So here's how I'm going to apply this to my life, Lord. I'm not going to worry about this situation over here. I've got this thing going on at work, and I know it's a struggle or it's a difficult thing I'm going to have to deal with at home or whatever. And Lord, because you're my shepherd and you're going to guide me, I don't have to worry about this. You know the beautiful part about being a sheep? You don't have to worry about where you're going, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about protection. I think so often as believers we kind of take this model of how we need to live our lives and we just set Christ aside and we set the Lord aside and we try to figure out what we need and where we're going to go and how we're going to fix everything. And the Lord's saying, look, I'm your shepherd. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to lead you beside the still waters. I'm going to give peace to your soul. I'll guide you. I'll direct you if you'll just let me. You say, Lord, I've never really thought about applying Scripture like that to my life. I've never thought about the fact that you're my shepherd. And because you're my shepherd, you're going to lead me and you're going to guide me. And therefore, the way I'm going to apply this, I'm going to actively not try to worry about this. And every time, Lord, I try to worry about this situation, or every time this situation pops up, I'm pulling out my verse, and I'm going to remember that you're my shepherd and that you're going to guide me. It's just the idea of taking time and writing these verses down and thinking through and meditating through and seeking the Lord at every possible moment and allowing him to work in your heart. And I want to guarantee you of one thing. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I can make that work. I don't, I don't Just try it for a week. Take the 23rd Psalm or take something else you like, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, whatever He's guiding and directing you to do. Try it for a week, and I promise you, when you get to the end of the week, if you've actually done this, if you've actually written them down and spent time looking and praying and tried to apply them to your life, you will not get to the end of the week and say, Oh, what a waste of my time. Oh, man. Well, I blew that, didn't I? I I wasted six hours of my life this last week by reading and studying. You won't say that. What you'll say instead is, I I never knew. I never understood the Lord could speak to me like that. I didn't really understand He could be part of every moment of every day of my life just by meditating on His Word and asking. I didn't know He was going to lead me to that depth of understanding. I think you'll be amazed and I think you'll be blessed if you'll seek Him. Now, thirdly, we need to move on. We've seen that the mature man is the one that flees from the wickedness and from evil, guarding against the evilness of the world. Number two, we've seen that we should delight and especially meditate on the Word of God. And here's the third thing as we read verse 3. That person, and it's a picture. Bring verse 3 up for me if you would. Verse 3 gives us a picture of these, this person, the person that has run from evil, it's fleeing from evil, the person that's meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Here's what that person looks like, verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So here's the third thing. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must deepen our roots and produce fruit. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must deepen our roots and produce fruit. I love the imagery here. It's so poetic because it's this picture of this mature tree of this tree with strong roots and, and it's being nourished by streams of water which, is of the, which of course is the word of God. It doesn't wither and the fruit is growing and the, and the leaves aren't old and it prospers and, and whatever it does and I just see it's, it's such a beautiful picture of our Christian walk and our Christian life and it's very simply a result of doing the things the Lord has called us to do. You understand that? I think so many people struggle with their spiritual walk and they just can't quite figure out why they're not growing into the man or woman they want to be. They can't quite figure out why they haven't matured beyond a certain point. It's probably because they're not walking down the path of righteousness the Lord has called them to walk down. If you're never spending time in prayer, never spending time in confession, never spending time actively fleeing from the evil of the world, if you're never spending time reading or meditating on the Word of God, if you're not doing any any of those things, you shouldn't expect to grow. You shouldn't expect to deepen your roots. You shouldn't expect to be a mature believer. It's not just going to happen by itself. You need to understand that. And I want want to caution you and challenge you just for a second here. Because your walk and your growth is between you and the Lord. But you need to be careful here. If you've been a Christian for a number of years and you have no visible picture of growth in your life, there's a problem. You understand that? If you're not in some way growing closer to Christ in this process, something's wrong. If you look the same as you did 10 years ago, if you're struggling with the same things and having the same issues and you haven't grown at all in Christ in 10 years, there's a problem. Because verse 3 tells us very clearly, listen, if this person does this, if they flee from evil, if they seek the Lord, if they meditate on His Word, if they find delight in Him, if you do those things and you'll see growth, you'll produce fruit. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let me read that text to you. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit. So here's the picture of the mature person here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. See, here's the point. If you're growing in Christ, you ought to see these things manifest in your heart. You understand that? If you're growing in Christ, you should experience joy. If you're deepening your walk in Christ, you you should experience joy patience and peace and kindness and goodness. And if you're not, you need to be praying that the Lord will correct those things. That the Lord will fix your heart. That the Lord will work in your life. You, you ought to be serving if you're growing in Christ. You know, if you've been a believer for X number of years and you've never one time served, something's wrong. Now maybe you find a place of service here at the church. Maybe you need to serve somebody in your Neighborhood, maybe you need to serve somebody at work, something. But you you ought to be serving, you ought ought to be giving, you ought to be practicing patience, You you ought to be sharing your faith, you ought to be doing something that demonstrates your growth. You shouldn't be a believer of a number of years and never see any change. The Bible is clear. If you'll do these things, if you'll walk down this path, you'll see growth. But here's the problem for so many of us, it's unknown. We just don't know why we're not growing. We just don't understand the path. We don't understand what we're trying to accomplish and what the Lord wants us to do. And yet the scripture gives us over and over just a very clear picture of who we ought to be and where we ought to go. Buzz Aldrin, who was one of the three astronauts that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, he was on that first mission to the moon. He wrote a book called Magnificent Desolation. And in that book he recounts what happened in the first hours after they landed on the moon. Here's his quote from this book. So, he says, during those first hours on the moon, before the planned eating and rest periods, and I, I, it's interesting, it's a side note here, they told these astronauts, when you land on the moon, because you've been up for so long and working for so hard, there's a mandatory seven-hour sleep period. And he said, can you, you imagine, we just, we just landed on the moon, and they want me to take a nap, right? I, I can't help but look out the window and be excited about all we we're supposed to do, but there's this planned period. He says, so before the planned eating and rest period, he says, I reached into my personal preference kit and I pulled out the communion elements along with a three by five card on which I had written the words of Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit for you can do nothing without me. I poured a thimbleful of wine from a sealed plastic container into a small chalice and I waited for the wine to settle down as it swirled in the one sixth Earth gravity of the moon. I thought that was a very interesting idea. My comments to the world were inclusive. I would like to request a few moments of silence and to invite each person listening in wherever and whomever they may be to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. I silently read the Bible passage as I partook of the wafer and of the wine and I offered a private prayer for the task at hand and the opportunity I had been given. At that time, he says, I could think of no better way to acknowledge the enormity of the Apollo 11 experience than by giving thanks to God. What an incredible idea. The first act by human beings as they landed on the surface of the moon was by Buzz Aldrin to give thanks to his Lord through communion. You know, I think there is a clear path to knowing the will of God. I think there's a clear path to seeking Him and to bringing Him glory. I think if we'll spend time with prayers of confession and repentance, if we'll spend time fleeing from evil, if we'll actively meditate on the Word of God, I think if we'll do those things, our roots will grow deeper and deeper and deeper into God's unfailing love. And I believe if we'll do those things, that through God's grace, He's going to allow us to complete our journey into the unknown, And know him in ways that we never thought imaginable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for the truth of your word, Lord. We thank you for the ability to study and to know you more. So I pray right now you impress upon our hearts the importance of spending time this week in prayer and especially, Lord, in meditation, seeking you, Father, wanting to know you more deeply. I pray you just impress upon our hearts the importance of As the individual believers, as part of the body of Christ, Lord, that it's important for us to seek you if we're going to move forward as a church to reach the world. So, Father, I pray you would just remind us of who you've called us to be, of what you've called us to do. I pray, Father, through prayer and through meditation this week, you would speak to us in mighty and powerful ways. And I pray, Father, we would would walk literally for so many of us into an area of unknown blessing. Areas we didn't even know existed to understand your love and to deepen our walk with you, Father. May you be honored and glorified in all the things we say and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.